We've seen this over and over in this generational sentiment survey that we run every quarter here that younger generations value experiences more. They value a sense of community more. So thinking outside of the box and how to impact their overall customer experience. You're listening to Retail Remix, your inside access to candid conversations with the people shaping retail's future. Here's your host, Alicia Esposito. Over the past 18 months, we've been hearing about how customer loyalty is changing. Not just changing, dwindling. It's a little bit scary for brands and retailers, I could imagine, because the sole goal of any business is to drive repeat visits and repeat purchases. Not only that, but there are a lot of changes happening in the marketing and advertising landscape, specifically how data about users are being collected and shared. We get into how the loyalty landscape is changing, what data brands and retailers need to be successful, and how they can adapt their loyalty strategies and programs to keep pace during today's episode. I'm thrilled to have on the show with me Rob Garf, VP and GM of Retail at Salesforce, and Natasha Janik, Senior Manager of Industries Product Marketing for Salesforce, who has a distinct focus on the changing loyalty space. Now, even if you're just trying to wrap your head around all of these changes, you're not quite in sync with all of the terminology and all of the headlines and the news cycle, we break it all down. So regardless, you're going to get some very tactical takeaways and best practices today. Rob, Natasha, it's great to have you both on the show. Thank you so much for taking the time. Absolutely. It's great to be here. Yeah, excited to be here. Thanks. We have a lot to get into, and we've been covering so much about loyalty as of late. It's a very big focal point for our retail readers, largely because there have been a lot of changes around data, how data is collected, how it's used. And I think we'll get into a lot of that, but I think the big umbrella topic is the focus on first and zero and third-party data, a lot of different data sources, right? And I'm sure if folks don't live this and breathe this every day, they're like, what is what, what? (laughs) So let's start there. How would you define all these different data types and what are the pros and cons of each? Let me jump in. It does feel a little bit like consumer data bingo here, but you're right, Alicia. I mean, we're talking about loyalty with so many different customers and from around the world and with different verticals and sizes as well. And, you know, if you think about it over the last 18 months or so, loyalty has been defined by health, safety, convenience, and trust. And for me, that really means taking the friction out of the process. And and as we look beyond the pandemic, consumers are actually even having a higher expectation with this new baseline around relevancy and personalization. And that's where consumer data comes in. So to answer your question, you know, let's go through it a little bit here, right? Third-party data, not a new term. It's been around for a while. This is data that's obtained and purchased from sites and other sources that aren't owned by the retailer or brand. I mean, think about it at the very basics, right? The national change of address registry. This is something that's publicly available and retailers have been buying this for years. And think about it for a furniture retailer. You would like to know that somebody changed their address because they might need a new 
living room couch or a new dining room set, right? In the digital world, third-party data is just that, that data that is being generated, many cases unknowingly by the consumer, by as they're traversing the different digital entities. Now, first-party data is, if you think about it, behavioral data, the taps, the clicks, the swipes that any consumer does as they visit a site, whether that's on a desktop or on a phone. You think about it like here at Salesforce, we have our shopping index, which is based on first party data. This is aggregate data, stripping out all PII information that allows us to understand the behavior of, on a quarterly basis, billions and billions of shoppers so that we become the de facto standard of what's happening in digital. Now, zero party data, which all the cool kids are talking about now, is data that's intentionally and proactively shared by the consumer. You know, when I was in the consulting world, first party data, we talk about it in the context of implicitly providing the information and zero party data is explicitly providing information. Think about various subscription models where you have to fill out a survey of 10 questions about yourself so you can get a more curated assortment, right? Or information to fulfill an order like address or email, or, hey, I'll give my birthday because I might want a discount each year from that retailer and their loyalty program. So really briefly, in summary, when you talk about the pros and cons, I mean, there's different uses for each, each piece, but the third party data in a cookie-less world will start going away really soon. So what really becomes most valuable is that zero party data because consumers are knowingly giving that information to a brand or retailer in the hopes, in the expectations that they'll get some value in return. Awesome. Really nice breakdown. And I'm, I'm glad you opened that cookie jar, so to speak, because everybody's talking about it. And I just want to clarify. So cookies kind of fall into that third party data bucket. Is that right? I just want to make sure everyone is clear on the definitions and, and where cookies kind of fall in that overall equation. That's right. That's right. Cookies are in that third party data source, specifically as it relates to digital. And, you know, it's probably worth saying that we're moving towards a cookie-less world. And as we approach holiday, it's not cookies that Santa Claus really likes, but it's what <laughs> sites and platforms are putting on your browser so they can understand your buying and shopping and navigation behavior. But progressively, tech platforms, whether operating systems or web browsers, are removing that. Now, consumers could, on their phone, as an example, or a computer, opt out of that for a long time. But it was really clunky, and a consumer needed to understand why and how to do it. Now, what we're seeing is that's going away altogether. And websites, if you've noticed over the last, I don't know, let's say six months, have explicitly asked you as a consumer, do you want to opt into cookies from our website. So that's becoming increasingly difficult for marketers to provide some level of personalized experience as you're traversing different properties. Okay, got it. So as far as the impact for retailers, you, you pointed to marketers specifically, but data impacts everyone. So the impact is 
greater demand for personalization, but it seems like there are more barriers for getting that context or that additional layer of data needed to provide that level of personalization. But what other challenges or frustrations may retailers be facing in this journey? Because I know it has been a long time coming, like we're slowly, we've slowly seen the cookie crumble, so to speak. And and, and Google has (laughs) all of the cookie puns today, folks. Um, I know there has been a bit of an extension for that last final bit. But I mean, what have you been hearing? What have you been seeing? What impacts, I guess, are happening right now? Yeah, you know, I'll jump in and Natasha, I'd love your point of view because I know you're talking to customers, even outside of retail all day long. Let's be really clear because I wasn't yet like the cookies going away are going to make it really difficult, if not nearly impossible to collect this third party data. So retailers are pivoting their strategy to focus on first and zero party data. And a significant mechanism for that is standing up or redefining their loyalty program to create that value exchange, to create an impetus for consumers to, whether it's explicitly or implicitly, share information about themselves for a more relevant, more curated, more personalized experience. Yeah, absolutely. I read a metric that was like over 40% of marketers use both first and third party data in their day to day, and that's going away. And regardless of whether the actual date was pushed out, as consumers, we're being prompted with these accepting cookie prompts as we're browsing the web. Apple is being more transparent about how apps are using your data and giving you the option to really curate how those apps are collecting and using your data. So I think consumers as a whole are becoming a lot more aware as well of how their data is being collected and they can be a lot pickier about whether they want to share it or not. And that's something we've never had to deal with before. So we're seeing this big boom in loyalty programs because it provides that opt-in. I'm so glad you brought up Apple, Natasha, because I honestly just got done doing a lot of research around these big privacy shifts regulation changes and what brands really need to be thinking about and doing because we're hearing data privacy, data use become more of a consumer consideration, as you are saying. And it seems like Apple has kind of turned this into, I don't want to say a a marketing ploy, but it, it is something that they are going to market with. It's something they're integrating into their messaging. And they're saying, hey, listen, we're walking the walk and talking the talk and we're turning this into an opt-in experience versus a, oh, we're just going to do it. And if you want to opt out, you certainly can. And Rob, to your point, maybe we'll make it a little difficult or not quite clear. So it seems like the conversations that are happening within the organization or the marketing team, it's very much becoming a consumer consideration set. And I don't think that can be understated in this conversation for sure. You mentioned loyalty programs, Natasha, and I want to dig into this a little bit more because that's a lot of rich data, right? That is the consumer raising their hand, engaging, sharing information, opting in, and in a lot of different ways, right? So let's get into loyalty programs and, and how they are a source for first and zero party data. I mean, this is your, your specialty, Natasha. So maybe you can start off by sharing like what, what level of data and insight can loyalty programs provide completely? Yeah, absolutely. So I think first and foremost, it's 
not only an opt-in, but it's your customer raising their hand and saying that they want to build a relationship with your brand. And we're seeing a lot of retailers, you know, loyalty programs, not new to retail, absolutely not. But we're seeing them lean more heavily on their loyalty programs, or if they don't have one, start to think about perhaps launching one in order to collect that data from their customers. And in fact, in our holiday predictions this year, we projected that we would see about more than a thousand new loyalty programs in retail over the next six months. If you expand those numbers globally, it becomes pretty astronomical. And I think as we see more of these privacy laws come into place, more restrictions put on mobile devices by companies like Apple, we're just gonna see that number grow. And loyalty data itself is so rich, behavioral data, preferences, demographic data, And that can be used to not only personalize the loyalty experience, it's not just about getting the right promotion to the right customer, but you can take that data across your entire organization now. How do you improve the customer service experience? How do you empower sales teams? How do you now use this loyalty data to better target your marketing campaigns and enrich some of your segmentation? And despite what a lot of people might think, Consumers are actually pretty willing to share their data if it means getting a more personalized experience. And this becomes even more true with younger generations. If they feel like they're getting an ROI on that data investment, they're going to continue to share it. If you can imagine a world where we didn't have filters on advertisements, we would see like millions of ads a day that were totally irrelevant to us. Personally, I'm happy to share my information if that means I'm going to see promotions and advertisements that I care about. So I think that as time goes on, we'll see consumers become more comfortable with sharing their data. But again, being transparent with how it's being used is going to be extremely important moving forward. Yeah, you know, I'll just jump in on that. First of all, Alicia, based on the point you made in terms of the regulations, that oftentimes is what prompts innovation. I know IT people get pretty cranky, especially privacy and security individuals and leaders. Uh, But you think about it, this was all prompted by GDPR in Europe and CCPA in California. And typically there's fast followers in Connecticut and Massachusetts. And it's really forced retailers to do things that they probably should have been doing already in terms of transparency and access and really thinking how do they take it, meaning their loyalty programs, to the next level. And I'll say one more point, if you don't mind, and just based on what Natasha just said, in terms of willingness to provide information, what we found based on our Connected Shoppers report, our latest Connected Shoppers report, is that 66% of people expect a unique and personalized experience from who they are doing business with. However, at the same time, only one third of retailers say they are ready to actually leverage that data and turn it into intelligence and then personalization. So there's a big gap that still exists between expectations and the reality of what retailers and brands can deliver. So many great points. And I do want to get into how that data can be use and apply not just to iterate and improve upon the loyalty program, but that entire customer experience, even that business user experience, right? That data is insight and understanding of your customer that can be used in so many 
incredible ways. But before we do, obviously, we talked about there needs to be a clear value for the end customer. If there's a perceived value, a consumer will say, okay, sure, like I'll, I'll share a little bit more information. But I feel like there's this gap, I guess you could say, around communicating how that data is used, what that value will ultimately be for the customer. That level of transparency, I think that a lot of customers, I think, are looking for today because essentially they're saying, hey, we're not stupid. We know you're taking our data, right? So tell us what we're going to get in return. So what measures can or should be taken to create that transparency and I guess a greater level of understanding because at the end of the day, this is a relationship, right, between the brand and the customer. So what can the brand proactively do as they're trying to get all that data? Yeah, you know, absolutely. Let me jump in here. And you mentioned one thing, which was value. So there are really two aspects of what we're seeing from at least I am the executives that I'm talking to. It is value and it's access. On the value side, you'd be actually pretty impressed, maybe, if you're looking at the amount of programs that I am and seeing how much that retailers are now proactively promoting what the consumer is getting in exchange for being part of the program. It's becoming really a big part of the overall brand marketing and, if you will, product marketing of any retailer. And what that does is it's showing the value right up front in terms of what the consumer is going to get in exchange. But the value must be executed, right? Because the consumer will walk away. Actually, based on the same research I just referenced a moment ago, 80% of consumers said they will walk away and abandon a retailer after three bad experiences. So three strikes, you're out, if you will. And so what that means is we need to fulfill those promises because it goes back to trust, one of those aspects of loyalty that really came about over the pandemic. But the other aspect is access. For so long, retailers would really hug the data that they obtained. And in fact, they would, in many cases, keep it just within the department that accessed it. So commerce, digital commerce would keep what they got. Marketing would get what they got. Store operations coming out of point of sale would keep what they got, right? And oftentimes they would see it as their data. First of all, those silos need to break down, period, full stop, within the organization. But as a good friend of mine in the industry talks about, there needs to be this democratization of data. So within the organization, right? Not just the home office, but also within the store, right? So the store associate gets access to that information. But most importantly, really to create this trust and this transparency is allowing the consumers to have access to this information. You'll see more and more loyalty programs. In particular, you can access it through the app on the phone, getting access to that data, transactional information, information about tiers and where they stand in terms of their level, and so on and so forth, which gives a sense of security, right? Emotional security and actual security when consumers can have visibility and access to the data that they are sharing. Yeah, and I think I'll jump in here quickly. I don't know if you all remember when Facebook made your data available for download. I had a field day certainly sifting through what they thought they knew, um, <laughs> but it was so much more data than I ever thought they had on me, even though I don't really interact much on the app. I'm more of a lurker. 
and just mm-hmm. scrolled through my feed. But I think at the end of the day, you don't ever want your customer saying, I have no idea how they knew that about me. Right. That's going to be a breakdown in trust and just not to personalize for the sake of personalization and knowing where to kind of draw that line. Yeah. I think that's a very important nuance, right? It's the idea that do what you need to do to create value for your customer and for the business, but determine what that line is for your customer because it'll probably vary and stick to that, stick to those guidelines. And I'm wondering too, I'm curious what what you both think about this because I've seen some instances where brands will send almost like check-in emails, I guess you could say like, oh, we've noticed you haven't opened X type of email. Do you not want to see it? More batch and blast emails like around like Mother's Day, like, oh, do you not want to see Mother's Day emails? Like more, I guess, opt-in type messages where they're asking you throughout the relationship to further customize or revisit and update your profile. Is that something that you think we, we may be seeing more like as brands and retailers try to make this a reciprocal relationship? I can jump in there. I mean, I personally appreciate someone asking me, hey, do you want to see this or not? I think giving your customer a little bit of control over how that relationship goes can build trust. So personally, I think if you don't know, it's sometimes just okay to ask your customers what they want. I like that. I like that control aspect, Natasha, a lot. And we're seeing that more and more again, because let's face it, especially over the pandemic, us all turning to digital, we had more access, we had more control, we had more influence. So let's just acknowledge that as an industry and let us as consumers have more have more control. And, you know, I think there is an aspect of asking to opt in and provide information. There's also tactical things that I'm seeing retailers do all the time that provide an incentive to the consumer to provide information. I mean, let's just say digital receipts as an example. Hey, I want to save the world because I don't need a big paper receipt or I'm more apt to find that receipt later on if it's in my email rather than it being in my wallet or docked away somewhere that I'll never see again, right? Or, you know, I have one retail customer who's actually I'm the executive sponsor for. They're in the outdoor and sporting goods space. They actually provided complimentary, meaning free transportation from York up to a local skiing mountain. And all they asked for was an email. Well, hey, Customers jumped on board, right? I'll provide an email. And, you know, that email, by the way, was used because we need to confirm that you're coming. We need to update you on arrival time and that sort of thing. But, okay, that's a piece of information that I wasn't just like as that brand asking for the information because I thought it would be nice to have. But it was because it helped really the customer solve a problem and give the customer a big benefit. And it it actually worked out really well. And now, a word from our sponsor. Quality programs are gold mines for customer data. Combining that data with other things you know about your customers makes for a 360-degree view that could benefit every aspect of your business. But knowing what insights are most important and having the right tools to assess that data can be difficult. Join our loyalty and analytics experts and learn about which metrics are most impactful to your program, how to interpret your loyalty program data, see a live demo, and get your most pressing questions answered. Register at sfdc.co forward slash loyalty insights. That's sfdc.co 
forward slash loyalty insights. I think there are so many different ways to create that value, whether it be through special experiences like that, new services, or even a free product or early access to a new line of products, like product drops are a huge thing. And loyalty programs are a good entry point for creating that exclusivity. But I mean, what else? Like, let's get into the tactical components of loyalty programs. Like I know on our side, we've been hearing a lot of retailers and brands say like, what do I need to do to level up my loyalty programs or turn them into loyalty experiences or loyalty strategies. Natasha, I know you said a thousand new loyalty programs within six months or something insane like that. So like that's a lot of loyalty programs, right? So I mean, like what are the keys to leveling up and differentiating among all of that? I don't want to say noise, but that for the customer that that's what it becomes, right? So I mean, what needs to be done? Yeah, I think it's, you have to think outside of the box at this point. And by the box, I mean like earn and burn programs, just earning points and redeeming them for some type of free product or service. Still a pillar of loyalty and still important to some of your customers, but there's so much more that you can do. And when I think about how retailers should be engaging their customers and ways to collect great data is, as Rob said, asking them to share information for bonus points, for access to an exclusive experience. That gives you more information about your customer. Um, It provides them with an incentive to do so. I've seen some retailers offer bonus points just for liking them on social media or following them on Instagram or Twitter. And with a lot of the like social selling initiatives that we've seen over the last year, particularly with the pandemic, just awarding a customer 200 bonus points for following you on Instagram can reap a lot of benefits for your brand in terms of engaging them on social and getting them to purchase through those channels. So I think what has to happen is just thinking of loyalty as a holistic part of your business and not just this like siloed program that's going to run alongside, as Rob said earlier, your digital commerce, your marketing team, your store operations. It really has to span all of that. Yeah. I think that's a really good point because I can't tell you how many programs I joined, like even those simple punch card things. And like, I leave the punch card. I'm like, what now? (laughs) I literally have it. I have a reward and there's nothing I can do now because I left it somewhere or my toddler stole it or it's in my car somewhere. Like, I mean, there needs to be, I love that use of holistic, like it actually means something. It ties to the lifestyle and the everyday of the consumer and it makes sense for them because I think that's that's the only way you're going to get that engagement and that, not just that initial sign up, right? Like that ongoing use and engagement with the program, which I think a, a lot of folks are thinking about right now. So you get that use, you get that engagement, and then how do you kind of continue to improve and build upon that loyalty program over time? I guess the the big question is like, how do you kind of use that data that you get to your advantage to ultimately make people more loyal, right? Like I know like once you become a member, like it kind of takes time to build that relationship, build that trust. So like, what does that cycle look like? Yeah, well, I mean, I think first of all, you listen, right? And you actually take this data to better understand the customers. You're not doing it necessarily at an individual level, although that sounds really nice, hyper-personalization, that might be the outcome, but you really need to analyze it, get these in the hands of people that can interpret it. In fact, the research that we just did for the Connected Shoppers report showed that we're gonna see about a 45% increase in 
uh, data scientists within a retail organization because really people to understand the data, be able to tell interesting stories based on the data and make it actionable uh, is a big deal. And so we're seeing really a sifting through, making it more actionable, operationalizing this data. But it also allows them to put customers, shoppers into certain journeys, right? In terms of how do we, let's just say, if typically a customer is shopping three times a year, how do we bump them up to four times? If they're only spending $25 per transaction, how do we get them up to $35? So really looking for some of these tactics for the buying journey to really move the shopper up to the more valuable shopper and ultimately looking customer lifetime value. And that's been something that's been talked about in the context of loyalty and marketing for a long, long time. I'm seeing a renaissance for customer lifetime value to really better understand those consumers. And by the way, when you get really good at it for retail, not only are they becoming more valuable for your brand, but those brands and retailers can then monetize that loyalty and create partnerships and adjacencies to other products, other services that are complementary to them. If you think about it, we used to talk back in the early days of e-commerce, the eyeballs and the stickiness. And that's exactly what's happening right now. The more stickiness you can create, as you talked about, Alicia, in terms of engagement, the higher value these customers are for you and whatever ecosystem of partners that you're building out to, what Natasha talked about, ultimately solve a customer problem. Yeah, and I think to add to that, we've been talking about collecting the data so far, right? Like how do you get your hands on first and zero party data? But the crux of it is what do you do with that data? How are you gonna use it? And I think that is a challenge in and of itself. We probably need a separate podcast to talk about that. But I think that what I've been talking to a lot of customers about is finding this balance and first understanding who your customer base is, understanding what are some of the different segments at play here, because it is truly a balance of this very rational loyalty and then this very emotional loyalty. And on the rational side, it's probably what we're most familiar with, right? Like the points, the dollars off, things like that. And some consumers, that's all they want. And that's fine, but you need to be able to identify who those people are. You have other consumers, and we've seen this over and over in this generational sentiment survey that we run every quarter here, that younger generations value experiences more. They value a sense of community more. So thinking outside of the box and how to impact their overall customer experience. And that can be, Alicia, I know you mentioned having a little one at home. This holiday season, knowing which of your customers have a family, have children at home? Maybe you partner with a streaming service and get them a promo code for an upcoming holiday movie, simply for shopping with you this holiday season. I think being able to get down to those granular levels are super important. And then bringing in some of those cross-industry partners that Rob is talking about to really expand your program and ultimately increase that stickiness. Yeah, so many great points that that notion of adjacencies, connecting points and partnerships, I think it's something that I've been hearing little blips of here and there, but I hope it's something that brands and retailers will embrace in the future because we don't think about shopping as just like this one aisle, one way thing, right? We're thinking about like, 
what we need to accomplish in a day, like what we need to do. If we're going to a certain area, like where else can we go to maximize our time out and about? Like there's a much bigger context to how we think about the shopping experience. And I think you both nailed some really great ideas and applications for that insight. But I mean, like you said, Natasha, we could probably have an entirely different conversation around operationalizing data and the different functions that can see value from it. I think we've talked a little bit about marketing. We've talked about experiences. Are there any other, I guess, key, I don't want to say cheats, but like key takeaways that like other functions can say, oh, okay, like I can get value from this data. I can apply it to my day-to-day, especially as there's more urgency around getting those data scientists on board. Yeah. Well, you know this, Alicia, I grew up in the stores and I have a really soft spot for associates and I think they're our biggest brand ambassador. So I can't pass up the opportunity to give a shout out to the store. And that's where I really see loyalty data and insights really shining is in the hands of the store associate. And it can't be at the checkout. It can't be at the cash wrap. It really needs to be really at the moment of truth, when the consumer is making those purchases decisions, figuring out what they need, being inspired. And so putting this in the hands of the associates so they can really, it's less about the checkout. And really, if you think about it, the check-in process in terms of checking in with the customer as they're coming into the front door. And by the way, this doesn't work in every model, right? In uh, certainly higher touch models, it makes a whole heck of a lot of sense. But how do we empower the associates with that information. And it, by the way, it doesn't have to necessarily be garnered or generated from a loyalty program, but certainly making that accessible so that there can be more personalized attention, personalized service and personalized engagement. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think your frontline staff, they're going to be the ones talking about your program. They're going to be the ones interacting with the end consumer. We have a customer who is going to be embedding loyalty analytics into their clienteling app so that that in-store associate can provide that same personalized experience in-store. Because I think we get personalized promos and ads and all of that when we're online, but it doesn't always translate when we're standing in a store in person. So I think really making that data accessible to the store associates is crucial And then also customer service, they could really benefit from having this holistic view of the customer and looking at how they would handle a case for a VIP tiered customer who is highly engaged with their brand versus maybe a first time customer. And maybe those follow-up steps are a little bit different. Maybe the case gets routed to not a chat bot on the website if it's a VIP customer. We're seeing some customers test that out. Can my top tier customers just bypass the bots and talk to a customer service agent? So we're seeing retailers starting to think outside of the box, starting to think of how they can start to impact every point of the customer experience and making sure that those high value customers feel valued regardless of who they're interacting with. Amen. I love that. That's awesome, Natasha. Yeah. I love all those different use cases and applications for the data because I think we've brought this up a few times directly and indirectly that people may feel like, oh, this data is just confined to marketing or it's just confined to the folks who are in charge of the loyalty program. But the more you start to peel back the layers and show who gets access to this data and how it can be used, it leads to a lot of different 
end results, right? And, and different objectives, which I think is ultimately what people are looking for, right? Like, how do I get the maximum value out of this inside? So I think we've covered a lot of great grounds. We could probably go on for a few more hours, but um, we're basically at the end of our time right now. But I do like to kind of close these conversations up with a few action items or tactical takeaways for the audience, right? Because we've talked a lot about what's happening, why the urgency and the value of loyalty programs in gathering a lot of this great data that is needed now. But any closing tips or takeaways for the folks listening right now that are like, okay, I get it. Like we need to get moving, but like, what do we do next? What would you recommend for them right now? Yeah. So just a couple of things that come to mind. Love that question, by the way. I used the word listen before. I think it applies here. And so listen to your customers, listen to your service agents, listen to your folks in the store, the store associates, that is, because they're learning stuff every day about the customers and what they value. And so I think that's a pretty straightforward way to do that. Second is look at the data. You don't need a loyalty program to look at your data and understand your customers. And so that becomes extremely important as well. And then I'd say, my wife hates when I do this, but we're all shoppers. We're all consumers. So you learn a lot in terms of what you like and what information and data you're willing to share by virtue of your own shopping experience. I understand I'm a sample size one and my wife hates when I talk to the store associate about what point of sale they're using or what the specifics are around their loyalty program. But hey, I'm doing my research. But my point is you can learn and you learn by starting to listen, whether it's directly or indirectly. I think the next time I go shopping, I'm just going to say it's field research for work. So. There you go. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's what I do. I mean, it sort of works. <laughs> but I think another thing is, I think particularly over the last 18 months, we've seen this big shift in consumer behavior. We're still seeing some of the ground shifting a little bit. So I would say test, learn, iterate on your program coming out with all the bells and whistles and thinking that everything is figured out was probably not the best tactic. And we know things are going to change and they're going to change quickly. So as Rob said, listen to customers, customer service associates, your marketing teams, your frontline staff. I think kind of taking in all of that information and knowing that changes will need to be made. You can test different things out, pay attention to the data and make changes if you need to. Yeah, I love that. Especially those little things like Natasha, you were talking about earlier, like offering certain perks for following the brand on social media, like those different tiers that ultimately add up. Those are those are easy things you can test, add in or remove it if it ends up not delivering much to the customer or your brand. Both of you, thank you again so much for taking the time. Again, I feel like we can go on and on for hours because there is so much to discuss right now. But I think we really got to the root of the big changes that are happening in the data world, how it's impacting impacting marketing and loyalty and all of the great things that brands and retailers can do now. So Natasha, Rob, thanks again to both of you. It's a real pleasure. Hey, Alicia, it's always good to connect with you and especially on such an important and interesting topic as this. So thank you. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, really enjoyed the conversation today. Yeah, your first podcast. You did Yay. it. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> all right. And to all of you, we hope you enjoyed today's conversation around loyalty. We'll be sure to include some great resources around the topic, helpful tips, tricks, and best practices in the show notes. So be sure to look out for those. And if you have any follow-up questions or comments for our fantastic guests today, drop us a line on Twitter at our touchpoints or on LinkedIn at retail touchpoints. And of course, as always, if you like what you heard, drop us some feedback or a comment on your preferred podcast player. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, frankly, anywhere else. We're likely there. Your feedback helps us make the show better and get better guests and also helps us show up in recommendations too. So a bit of a shameless plug, but like Rob said, we need that feedback to get better and share better stories. So thanks again to all of you. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Retail Remix. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can find us on your favorite podcast player. Until next time, keep mixing it up.